Welcome to Power Surge from the Center for Industrial Progress. I'm Alex Epstein, joined by Stefan Henn. Stefan, welcome. Hello from Germany. Hello from Orange County, California. All right, three stories today. We'll end with the so-called People's Climate March, which I will be, uh, let us say, counter-educating at on Sunday. But first story... Stefan, what's going on with Keystone XL? Yeah, the TransCanada Corporation, uh, the builder of Keystone XL, uh, is in its sixth year of delay for permission for building the Keystone XL pipeline. And it now has brought up a new calculations about the cost of doing that. And in South Dakota, so far, the costs have doubled uh, to almost $2 billion, um, because in part, at least, because of the delay. They, of course, have initial um, investments uh, that are sunk cost for this project. They have, you know, these large projects have a lot of uh, uh, time in advance that they need, or at least they need to uh, order a lot of material and get labor in place and training and so on. And these costs have increased over time, um, and the longer the delay goes on, uh, the more the cost will increase, of course. And that is only the new estimate for South Dakota, where they actually have to go through another permit process because they have to prove again that their pipeline will meet uh, South Dakota standards. And uh, they expect uh, the cost in other areas to increase as well. Yeah, so this is another example of how it's progressively illegal to actually build things. And something like Houston XL is, is a large, sophisticated project which requires all sorts of investment and long-term planning. And in my understanding, a project like this typically from the beginning to the end takes four years. And this one is already six years and they haven't even gotten uh, a permit. So think about how that affects now, how much the company has lost, uh, but also the uncertainty for people who need to use the pipeline, you know, what they have to do, what other plans they have to make. And it, it just makes it be, because of this environment where you know that, well, no pun intended in the name of the environment, anything that you want to build can be pronounced illegal or delayed indefinitely. Uh, you simply can't plan. And, and imagine... Imagine attempting to construct the cities of the United States of America or the highways of the United States of America with this kind of policy. I mean, it's just, we consider things like the national highway system and different, all sorts of different structures, uh, achievements, but I believe the Empire State Building took less than a year or something. And that's with you know, technologies back then that have to be considerably less advanced than today, but today's advanced technology is more than counteracted in many cases by very primitive philosophy uh, toward development. So this is not surprising, but it is uh, sobering. All right, let's go to the next story, which is my former countryman, as in former as in 300 years ago, uh, in Britain, are having a bit of trouble with energy. Stefan, what's going on there? 
Yeah, the government officials uh, and the um, grid operators um, are creating plans for this winter in Britain uh, to avoid uh, blackouts and shutdowns of the grid by um, paying large consumers to actually shut down at certain times of high demand. Uh, and that is a measure necessary because of uh, a shrinking conventional um, power source, especially coal and natural gas, and an uh, additional integration of so-called renewables, particularly wind in Britain. Um, and yeah, that's these are schemes that we have seen in other countries, uh, specifically my home country of Germany has uh, plans like this in place. Um, during harsh winters, uh, there have to be additional uh, controllable energy source capacity in so-called cold reserve, so you can compensate for volatile wind and solar input. And um, there are actually uh, regulations in place so that grid operators can take um, industrial consumers, for example, off the grid for a certain amount of time. And they then, of course, have to be compensated by the taxpayer or by the ratepayer um, to avoid shutdown. And that is a significant problem for large-scale wind and solar, which sometimes provide too much uh, input into the grid and sometimes almost zero or zero. And uh, yeah, to integrate, integrate quote-unquote, these, um, you need some plan. And someone has to pay either in form of money or in form of uh, um, additional reserve capacity on hold for these. Yeah, I mean, if, if you think 50 years ago when people were more, uh, I'd say more optimistic or more ambitious with regard to thinking about energy, who would have thought that we'd be at a place where in the name of using the latest technologies, we have to sort of routinely watch the weather and that at any given time the government can, can either shut us off or uh, tell us that we need to use less, otherwise it will shut us off. I mean, this is, this is going in a backward direction uh, technologically. And so this is this, uh, euphemisms such as renewables obscure the fact that they're unreliables, that they are, are backward energy. We should be in favor of progressive energy where the, the core attributes of energy in terms of uh, cost, um, you know, ability to produce a lot of it, uh, certainly reliability slash being on demand, those are getting better and better. And we're deliberately embracing the worst technologies in those respects in the name of, well, we can theoretically do this for millions of years, as if it's a good thing to do a bad thing because it, you're going to do it repetitively. And whereas the ideal should be, let's figure out better ways uh, of doing things. So it's, it's, the, it's destructive, and then the whole mentality is a, a regressive mentality. And it's exactly the opposite of what we should be expecting and we generally don't tolerate it in other realms you know so if the if the iPhone 6 turned out to be worse than the original iPhone there, Apple would get condemned and people would stop buying it and but but 
this is you know the latest iteration of these these grids with these quote unquote power sources are, are you know far worse than just having standard coal plants, and they are being viewed as as progressive because they have this alleged magical uh, renewable quality to them. All right. Anything else on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, we are seeing uh, proponents of wind and solar uh, actually rejoicing in the fact that um, something like um, exports and imports of energy cross-border in Europe are increasing and, uh, you know, there's additional capacity and overproduction and so on, but these things are actually bad things. You know, it costs a lot of money to compensate for too much or too little energy and uh, it also creates uh, something like a top-down economy where the government and grid operators have to uh, control who is producing what and at what price and so on. It's really, really bad situation and the propaganda from the proponents of wind and solar uh, try to tell the narrative in a way that um, you know, these things are good things, but it's in electricity production in a grid, particularly something like increased cross-border traffic of energy and uh, <clears throat> overproduction and so on, that's not a good thing. You have to uh, maintain a stable grid. All right. Well, last story, and this will be more of a monologue by me since I'm going to be there is Eric Dennis uh, of CIP will be there with me in New York is the so-called People's Climate March. So let me sort of give you the context for it. I, I want to talk about it from the context of people who are going to be there as observers in, in New York. So, you know, at least this, this Sunday, the 21st, but you know, quite possibly Monday and Tuesday. So on Tuesday, there is a a UN um, summit of sorts where they are not making any f formal commitment exactly, but they're discussing what they would call ambitious ideas uh, about climate, which means which means very dramatic restrictions of the freedom to use certain types of energy, namely coal, oil, and and natural gas. So they're not they're not creating a new superior technology that uh, replaces the benefits while incurring fewer costs. They're simply discussing plans to uh, restrict the energy that we use to uh, to live. The energy that you know at any given moment 80 percent of the energy that we use to live is coming from uh, fossil fuels. So. You have the so there's a summit, and then in advance of the summit, there's this thing called the People's Climate March, which is billed as the largest climate march in history, where the uh, protesters, led by 350.org, uh, including the leader Bill McKibben, whom many of you are familiar with, uh, and their you know their goal is to do everything they can to get public support for drastic restrictions and to get public opposition against anyone who protests drastic restrictions, anyone who thinks that we should be able to use anywhere near our current levels of fossil fuels, let alone more fossil fuels, which the latter is certainly what I, I believe. 
and the, they're going to be the people are driving and you can point out people are driving in from buses and taking trains that are almost all powered by oil uh, maybe a couple by natural gas which is also fossil fuel um, yeah, so they're they're doing that um, because everything we do uh, requires fossil fuel energy since it's so far the superior performing form of energy today but anyway they'll be there and almost certainly they will be incredibly loud and they will uh, be disruptive and they will stop traffic. I mean, I've been to these things before and this one should be larger and it's in New York, which is everything is so concentrated. So you, you can imagine that it will be an inconvenience and, you know, the, they'll be stopping traffic and probably the way you'll be taught to think of them is as, as, Probably you won't feel benevolence toward them since they might come across as a little bit uh, crazy, um, but view them as uh, you know, idealists, idealists who are causing an inconvenience. You know, they're sort of holding up activity in the city. They're stopping traffic, and what I would say, and, and you walk by and and think, yeah, those guys are probably doing something important, but they're a little extreme, but. Um, and I, I would encourage everyone in New York to, to take a very different view of this event, which is that, you know, to put it, to put it forcefully, they're not just stopping traffic. Their goal is not to just stop traffic. It's, it's to stop civilization. So what, whether, you know, any given protester knows it or not, if they if they get anything close to their way, uh, human civilization will be uh, set back, and that includes, in particular, billion uh, most most directly billions of people who are striving for a more civilized uh, w way of life. So let's step back for a second. So it's, what is this called? It's called a climate march. What is it? What does it mean to be a, a climate march? I mean, are you, is the climate asking for your help? What is, what does this mean? And what it's referring to, so, you know, obviously we have, it's not a march to somehow directly, you know, take some sort of positive action for some technology that would make the climate more livable, as we'll see, it's actually against uh, such things, since the technologies that actually make climate more livable, like heating and air conditioning and irrigation, water transport, uh, you know, storm relief, all of those are ultimately powered by fossil fuel energy. Um, so it's it's not it's not about making climate uh, more livable because that would have a major fo if that were your cause, that would have a major focus on energy, and you would look at you'd look at some of the evidence about what's ma what makes climate livable, and you'd see that. Um, climate livability has been dramatically increasing over the past uh, decades, uh, and substantial part because, as I mentioned, we have all of this uh, what we can call climate uh, climate safety technology things technologies that are often high energy that make us much much safer from climate. Um, so it's not it's definitely not for climate livability. What it is against 
so calling it climate a climate rally is is deliberately I think misleading because who could oppose caring quote caring about uh, the climate? But what what it is it is it is a it's a rally that is focused on fossil fuels impact on climate and it's it's on the idea that fossil fuels when we burn fossil fuels one side effect is that it emits co2 um, which is which is true and that that has some sort of climate impact uh, which is true uh, although you know in terms of the extent of it and the nature of it that's that's very much up in the air but so but let's this is, to, I just want to stress that this is a completely irresponsible way to think about fossil fuels, to hold a, hold a rally that's against this side effect of, of fossil fuels absent looking at the positive effect of fossil fuels. So let's say, why don't we have a rally that is the um, anti-prescription drug side effects rally? And we just, we, everyone is rallying and they're, they're, you know, we're against all, you know, the different things that can happen from antibiotics and va vaccines and antifungal or, you know, almost any, any kind of medicate, um, pain relievers. And you just, you just say, look, there's all these side effects from, uh, prescription drugs. And so let's, let's have a rally, uh, opposing those. And let's, let's, we have an ambitious plan to outlaw the vast majority of prescription drugs. Well, what would be wrong with that? Well, what you might say, well, what about the fact that these drugs are necessary to cure illness, to, to save people's lives? What about the fact that if we banned them, you know, hundreds of millions or even billions of people could die uh, prematurely? And that's the exact same thing uh, with fossil fuels. If you just focus on negative side effects, and you don't think carefully about how, you know, what their magnitude is, how to, you know, how to best deal with them, and what what are the positives that you would lose in addition to the negatives. You will make horrible, horrible decisions. And so this is this is not a cure for illness. This is a, a cure. You know, fossil fuels are the cure for the natural state of poverty, absent absent fossil fuel energy, billions and billions of us who, who have ample energy now or have at least a fair amount now wouldn't have it. And then actively there are people who are striving for it. There are, I talk about this in the book, Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, but there are 1.3 billion people who have no electricity. Three billion have, you know, unimaginably low amounts of, of energy uh, for us. You know, for everyone in the world to have the same amount of energy as the average American, we would need four times more. And you know, every bit of this, every watt matters. Every watt hour matters because it's that uh, energy is our ability to use machines to improve our lives. So the more energy we have, the more we can ma use machines to improve our lives. Whether it's you know the respirator in a hospital or a refrigerator give you sanitary food or a truck that's carrying food to New York. I mean, New York in particular is a place where everything is destroyed um, once you lose energy. It's, it's completely reliant upon a, a high energy way of life. And we saw this in Hurricane Sandy, where you know, something like 50% of the power went out and it, everyone just goes ballistic. 
and they blame fossil fuels even though they need the fossil fuels for the power. Uh, so they, as Eric Dennis put it to me, you know, in the name of, of a storm that cut off 50% of the power for a week, we're supposed to embrace McKibben's plan to cut off 95% of fossil fuels forever. Uh, so it is, if, if, you know, if we're going to, it is good to stand up for, to look for causes, to stand up for causes that promote human life and that deal with existential threats to human life. But if you do that, you, you truly have to be responsible that you're for making sure that you're looking at the big picture to not just fixate on some negative and oppose it um, because you may inadvertently be opposing something very positive. So this is, this is a case where if we look at all the data, um, fossil fuel energy's benefits incomparably outweigh its risks and side effects, um, including in the realm of climate. I mean, uh, you know, so far global warming has been a very mild, mild thing. And um, the, th the main thing that we've done to the climate is, is make it uh, far, far more livable through um, um, technology. So even on, on climate grounds, this rally would, would afflict uh, you know, billions of people, uh, no, oh, and ultimately billions of people, but you, you see these, they have these graphics of the, um, of you know, poor people and other countries being, uh, being swamped in storms and they're, they're drowning. And then the climate rally is like handing them a life raft. I mean, this is complete propaganda. There's not, no such drowning going on. What's going on is people, nature drowns people all the time. And what you need is a durable civilization to protect yourselves against drowning. And these people are, are denying billions of people uh, that, that kind of thing. I mean, they're denying that people are aspiring to make progress using fossil fuel energy. And this, this rally would further uh, deny them their ability to make progress. So it's, it's um, again, if, if you're participating in something like this or even, even watching it, we have a responsibility to figure out, um, you know, what is going to promote human life, including what's going to promote um, a livable climate. In the same way, if we have a responsibility to figure out what's promoting human health, but if you come to a conclusion that says, "Well, the solution to human health is to ban pharmaceuticals," you have reached a a problem. And if you say the solution to the human future is to ban uh, fossil fuels, you have come to a wrong conclusion and it's very irresponsible. And so at the very least, the people you are watching are not thinking. They are, they're doing something because, um, they're not caring in the important sense of caring, where you actually think through whether the actions you are going to take are going to benefit or harm human life. They're doing it because it's, it's politically popular. They're doing it to be part of a cause. They're doing it because they've been guilted into it. Um, and if they looked into it and they thought about it, they would see that what they're doing is unbelievably destructive. And they would ask, "What's the why? Why? What is motivating this? If it's not this is a considered scientific big picture conclusion, this is something else." And I think what they would see is that the leaders of this movement are not focused on 
human life. They do n their opposition to fossil fuels is ultimately not that the side effect of fossil fuels is to make the climate less livable. Their opposition is that the effect of fossil fuels is to transform uh, the whole planet in a way that they th that benefits human beings, but that they regard as immoral. Because for them, the standard of value is is not impacting nature. Is is the idea that it's wrong to transform nature, that we should minimize our impact, and we we swallow this under the idea that we should be green, that the goal is to minimize our impact rather than to maximize our well-being. But if the goal is to maximize our well-being, then we take the actions that, in the big picture, uh, benefit us, and we don't not act because something has any kind of side effect. I mean, on that grounds, the same idea, you shouldn't use fossil fuels because they, quote, cause climate change, as in have a very, very uh, mild climate impact of some sort in a climate that's already incredibly dangerous and volatile. Why not just say, well, we shouldn't do anything because it causes ground change? Well, that's what the environmentalists believe. They're against climate change, they're against ground change, they're against any any sort of human uh, change. So as if you're in New York watching this, you have to see these guys are, what these people are doing is they're at the very least incredibly irresponsibly. They're, it's not a march for people. It's ultimately a march against billions of people and it's, it's a march against uh, civilization. And um, I think you should engage them and uh, I mean, you can go to, let's see, what's a good place to go? Uh, we should have up on the website chapter one of Moral Case for Fossil Fuels uh, tomorrow or so. So that should be on, if you go to industrialprogress.com um, and subscribe to the newsletter, you can, uh, that'll help, or just industrialprogress.com. But moralcaseforfossilfuels.com, Wednesday or Thursday, we'll have chapter one of the book online so you can see all the material, but, um, you know, at the very least, be clear to yourself and to everyone else that if these people got their way, New York as we know it would be uh, impossible. And they are not, they are not idealists in the proper sense, because a proper idealist thinks about what is good for human life, he thinks carefully about it, and he's very wary of, of, of popular actions that are in the end uh, very destructive and this this whole thing should be um, these people should be viewed as as I mean ultimately you know destructive ultimately if they are they they're what they are advocating would kill people would, would, end many, many lives prematurely. And they should be viewed as, as opponents of, of civilization who are, who are cashing in on our concern about our environment in order to take, take actions that would make our environment and every other part of our lives uh, far, far worse. And in terms of, well, I wanted to say one more thing. Um, and in terms of the marchers, if you're marching in this thing, please read um, chapter one of the book, learn about the history of the people that you have, that you are associating with, um, because it's, it's really, really bad. And just don't march, get off the bus or get on the bus and try to convince people. 
um, that you know that they shouldn't be there. You know, so I'll, we'll make sure that you have some literature, uh, spread the word, but you know this is you do not want to be the person who you know if you're in this and you really think you're making the world better i'm here to tell you you're making if you do this you're making the world much worse and every day in which people like you are making the world worse things are getting worse and actual people are suffering actual people aren't getting medication actual people aren't getting clean water and if you helped the other direction they could be so it it is your moral responsibility to reinvestigate this issue, I think that you'll come to a different conclusion. So do not, do not march. Um, abandon this. And for anyone watching, um, do not in any way support the march. Do not think it's a good idea. And if you want and you want to help, uh, email me at alex at industrialprogress.net and um, I can give you some materials to give to people. All right, that is what I have to say about that for now. Stefan, anything you want to add? My only comment is to point out the irony again that only a high-energy fossil fuel-based civilization uh, creates enough safety and wealth, including uh, safety from climate and weather, uh, so that a, a large amount of low information, high activism people can demonstrate against the roots of that industrial civilization. Yeah, that's particularly New York, because New York, if you just cut off certain things, it just every everyone dies. I mean, you have this incredible availability of things, and it's it's so dependent in the good sense on energy. And even even the all the people preparing for the influx of these guys, you know, all the restaurants and these guys are going to be enjoying all of the benefits of high energy New York City. Yeah. And also fuel logistics. Yeah, so they, I mean, they're going to be, you know, filling up traffic or making the restaurants crowded, but really what they are doing would, would uh, you know, piece by piece tear down uh, the city. All right, well, that was a non short episode. I think yesterday I said we we're going to try to keep it to 15 minutes, but I wanted to. Uh, to talk about some of the stuff because I think this thing is really important. I'm, I just decided yesterday that I would fly in. So, yeah, I think that... Um, not sure what else to say. Yeah, just do not march. Do not support the marchers and educate. And so we'll, we'll on the website, make the, um, you know, chapter one available and that should arm you with the information uh, that you need. We'll make some other stuff available too. All right, Stefan, good to talk to you as always. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. <laughs> yeah, you consider yourself invited for at least several more episodes. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> All right, take care, everyone. Uh, Industrialprogress.com, sign up for the newsletter.